Do you ever wonder how athletes reach the top of their game? What does it take for those athletes to reach the Olympic level? Oftentimes, it's not a straight road. There are twists and turns and bumps in the road. But there's one thing that's constant, the desire I to had be the best. VHS tapes of it that I would just put on over and over. And I just, I love the sport. And I think looking back on it now, I just wanted to be the best at the sport because I watched the best. All of the videos that I had was all of the Olympic greats up, up until that point. And I wanted to be those, those girls out there. These are stories told from my living room. Jen Yi talks to Olympians and puts their stories on the internet. This is the Olympic Hour. Today on the show, two-time Olympian, professional athlete, mom of three, entrepreneur, Hall of Famer. To say Lauren is an overachiever is an understatement. But it turns out her and her family never would have thought that pitching and softball would be the thing to take Lauren out of Trail BC let alone around the world competing for Team Canada. You know, to be honest, I wasn't very good when I started. And every umpire that umpired any game I played would tell you the amount of times I threw the ball over the backstop. They, they It hit a point where they were like, time out. And they looked at me, they're like, you can go get that one this time. Because it had just, it happened all the time. I mean, I couldn't hit the strike zone to save my life. I mean... It was painful, I think, for a lot of people to watch. And it wasn't like I picked up the ball and all of a sudden I just had this amazing natural ability and was a machine and just was throwing it in there. Um, I think part of it was I was extremely fearless as a kid. And now that I'm a mom, I'm not as fearless as I once was. And I recognize I, I really – I wasn't worried about letting anybody down. I approached – Every sport I did, whether it was volleyball, basketball, softball, and w whatever position I was at, I was just out there like, I'm going to do the best I possibly can. And ignorance is bliss when you're young. I, I didn't have that fear of letting anyone down because I didn't even know I could really do that. I just wanted to try so hard. Um, and I mean, I wasn't very good. Luckily, I stuck with it. But I think that kind of got me over the hump. When when I walked, and I did this in the Olympics too, but when I walked like player after player after player after player, it did not get me down. Um, I was like, okay, next, flip the page, next, next on. Time time to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And um, and you you, you, have to, you have to have a very short memory as a pitcher uh, because you can't let the last play determine your forward play. And so I was very fortunate that I was able to turn the page pretty fast. I started softball, and just like every softball team, everyone has to try pitching. And if someone can get it over the plate, then we'll go with you. Um, I was also left-handed. So that was another reason why people would say, hey, maybe you should try pitching. But to be honest, I didn't want to be a pitcher. Uh, I wanted to be an outfielder. I loved hitting, and I loved running. And I, I, I truly, you know, when I – pictured myself as a softball player when I first started I all I wanted to do was go when it was raining out so my dad could hit me balls that I could die for and I could slide on the grass and I would ask him all the time like if it had just rained to go out and do that you obviously can't be on the dirt because the dirt was too muddy but it was my favorite part of the game um running down and catching when you live in Canada it's not always softball season so when it's too cold to play outside, 
You have to get creative. I would be down in my basement. My dad had made this wooden frame and he hung an old red blanket and we put a um I drew a square and my basement was really really small. So I was maybe just as far enough away from it. So Every pitch I threw that winter and all the winters going forward into that red blanket were strikes because I, I, the ball couldn't even go far enough for it to go high or low. And so in my head, I'm like, man, I'm nailing it. And I just did it all winter long. I loved it. And I would run around the house like pretending to pitch um, when I did get older. I just I loved it so much. The saying goes, practice makes perfect. Or was it practice makes progress? Anyways, by high school, Lauren has made some pretty good progress. She gets picked up by the Renegades, one of the elite softball organizations in the province. But playing for the Renegades took some sacrifices, too. So I was 16 when I went and played with the White Rock Renegades. And I I still, as a parent today, I could not appreciate more what my parents did for me in terms of driving me all the way to Vancouver And I will tell you with 150% certainty, there was not one ounce of, well, if I do this, maybe she can get a scholarship. If if, If we do this, maybe this will make, you know, Lauren a great softball player. Because it... Even after I played for the Renegades, we were down in a tournament and my dad literally had to ask a coach like, hey, do you think she could play in college? Because we still didn't. I mean, I knew I was pretty good or the Renegades probably wouldn't have asked me, but I didn't I had no idea compared to kids that play down in the States. And, you know, my dad and my mom, they would pack up the car on Friday afternoon after right after school because school would still be in. They would drive eight hours. I would play Saturday and then my coach was super nice and gave me the Sunday morning game. And then I didn't stay for the whole tournament because I had to go home and go back to school, to, to high school. So they would give me the Sunday morning game, and then we'd pack up the car, and my parents would drive eight hours back. And it, you know, my dad tells me all the time, I, I loved playing. I also loved playing other sports as well. I wasn't 100% like softball is, you know, life at that point, um, soon as softball was over. Even when I was playing for the Renegades, I would go play volleyball, and I loved it, and I'd play, play basketball. Um, but it that was the start of where I thought, like, oh, you know, I'm making a pretty big commitment to softball. Never in a million years did they think I could find my way to Oklahoma or anywhere else in the States. That was completely foreign. So I picked five schools because at, at that time you could pick five uh, where – they were official visits, so they would pay your way down there, and you would check out the schools. And I thought for sure 100% I was going to go to the University of Oklahoma. That was just what I just – oh, 100%. And I was only taking my visits because I just – you know, just in case. But um, if I could have bought an OU gear, I would have. I had been in contact with the coach. Um, I, I thought for sure. But as luck would have it, there would be another Oklahoma school that would be calling Lauren's name. Oklahoma State was actually the added one on at the end, and I just went there. I was like, okay, fine. Two of my favorite pitchers, Mel Roche and um, Michelle Smith, both went there. And they had just come off the World Series in 1998, and I was going to school in 99. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check them out. But they were last – like in my head, it was just like a – I'll, I'll check. And 
you know, when you walk, for me, when I walked on each campus, it was very apparent I, I was not comfortable. And even when I went even when I went to OU, I thought for sure that's it. And I called my mom, I think, in tears. And I just said, I just can't see myself here. I just, it doesn't feel like me. And when I went to Oklahoma State, um, it just, it felt right being super small town. You want to talk about the most naive person in the entire world going to a place that I just had knew nothing about. Uh, I, it was, it was insane. So it's 1999 and Lauren's freshman year of college. You'd think a small-town kid would be a little nervous about being away from home for the first time. Well, sometimes you just got to close your eyes and jump in with both feet. I showed up. I'm like, let's do this. I couldn't do laundry. I I mean, I couldn't make mac and cheese. My roommate, who's my catcher and best friend, uh, Ryan Real Muto, she one time followed me around the kitchen because she was like, I, I, I just don't believe you're doing this correctly because I would make mac and cheese and it would be terrible so she followed me around and it was like hey take one cup to a boil everything I did and then I like would serve it up and she'd be like I I I don't know how you can wreck mac and cheese but you managed to do it every single time I mean I I had so much to learn about life Um, I had to call my mom I remember asking my mom like what how often do I have to wash my sheets like I had no idea about anything but um, the good news, you go to school on a, on a team, you have immediate people you know. So I had immediate people to sit with at, in the cafeteria. I had a place to be. I had to be at school, and then I had to be at the field. So that took a lot of that anxiety away. So Lauren can't cook, but it's a good thing colleges have dining halls. And in addition to having to wash her own sheets for the first time, it was the first time she actually had a pitching coach. I think it, it was a blessing and it was a curse at the same time. Um, it was a blessing because no one had ever helped me. I mean, I, I went to camps um, and I had um, Tammy Braithwaite, actually, she played for Canada and she had come out a couple times, but it wasn't like a, a pitching coach that was there teaching me through. It was kind of like if someone could come help me, they would help me. Um, at the time I saw Tammy, who I love, she's uh, amazing. Um, at that, at that time I was a little bit older and, um, you know, I remember she was like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a lot to say. Um, but I didn't have that person that knew me inside and out that could help me. And so the blessing was I had someone to do that and to care. The curse was I was so excited and so malleable as an athlete that I took every suggestion and tried so hard to implement it and you know these people clearly know way more than I do and when you're that green um, I I lost kind of who I was and what actually got me to Oklahoma State at that time all of a sudden I was trying to learn you know two different kind of drop balls and I'd never you know I, I was never a drop ball pitcher and so I'm trying to learn these two different drop balls and then all of a sudden my changeup gets messed up and all of a sudden I'm trying so hard to be a pitcher that I wasn't um, and I, I wasn't very comfortable or confident in myself. And, you know, you want to be coachable 100 uh, percent. But at the same time, you also have to understand that, you know, it can be a discussion. It's not necessarily we, we my husband and I always joke there's discussions and downloads like if it's a download. I tell you what to do. There's no discussion like here's what you're going to do. Go do it. And I do think. um 
And I, I wish I, when I first went to college, I would have asked more questions, not to be hard headed and not to be defiant, but literally just to understand I was this puppy dog with my tongue out like someone's going to help me. Someone's going to help me. Whatever you say, I will do it. And even if it hurt my shoulder, if it felt wrong, I, I would never say anything. And I think that, you know, discussion definitely would have helped my first couple years. If football is a game of inches, softball is a game between your ears. What you think about yourself, your performance, and how you bounce back from failure. To lose confidence in yourself can be devastating. And to some, it can mean the difference between going to the next level or not. I lost that because I lost myself and then I, I, my confidence just plummeted. And when my confidence plummeted, there was really, you know, you could have thrown the life preserver, but I, just, I couldn't even grab it. I was already too far under. But we can't count her out just yet. I mean, she's been able to survive this long on burnt mac and cheese. By 2002, her junior year in college, the national team invited her to her first senior national team tryout. The world championships were happening that summer, and this is midway through the Olympic cycle leading up to Athens 2004. I didn't know anybody, and it was so hard. The training and the, when I say training, I mean the off-the-field workouts, um, and that never bothered me. And working hard never, ever bothered me. I just remember being exhausted, but I remember... I didn't know anybody, and seemingly when you're coming in new, every it looks like everybody knows everybody else, and you're the only person that doesn't know anybody, and I cried. I called my aunt, Tammy, who lived in Tawa- who lives still in Tawasin, and I just remember I couldn't even talk. I was on a payphone because I didn't have cell phones. I was on a payphone, and I was just... I just said hi and I said nothing and I could I was just bawling cuz I was so I was just so uncomfortable and I felt so out of place and um I I remember she brought me up a bag with like some gummy bears and magazines and she was trying to give me like a little care package to make me feel better and all I could do was okay when I go on the field I just have to do my best and not be uncomfortable um it's so hard walking in, especially to a national team. I was a mess. Um, and I, I had a really hard time letting things roll off my back. And, you know, everyone has this own vision of their themselves and they only see the world through their view. And in my view, everyone was looking at me going, oh, well, there she is. She's late. Where if, if, now that I'm removed from it and I look back at the situation – everyone else was worried about their own butt, right? They were worried about what their perception was and they had to play to the best of their ability. But it's hard to even understand that someone else is going through that because those emotions are so strong. For anyone who's done it, they'll probably tell you national team trials are grueling. You have one week to show your stuff and it's every person for themselves as you compete for one of 17 roster spots. And especially your first tryout, it's not only physically taxing, but mentally taxing as well. Because it's not just about the softball. It's about navigating those cultural norms and unwritten rules, worrying and not worrying about what the coaching staff and other players are thinking of you. Blocking out these external stressors and performing is what determines who makes the team and who doesn't. Like they're saying, okay, you're one of the best. 
you're not you're not the team of the best yet. We'll figure that out. But you're one of the best. Okay, now let's see you play at your very best, or else you're not going to be on this team. Like pressure, pressure is high. And I took what time we were leaving as the literal time, and I showed up on time. And I was 15 minutes late, the last person there, and I was that person doing the walk of shame, walking in, going, "But, but you, you, you guys said 8:30. It, it, like I'm not, I'm not late." And I was so late, and I was totally that person, and I had no idea. I definitely. I definitely felt pressure in terms of like I knew that I could could perform well and I wasn't performing well. So I put a lot of undue pressure on myself. And again, everyone probably felt the exact same way because when camp, when the day came to the end, camp is so long and the days are so long because the coaching staff has to make a decision with a short amount of time, right? So they have to cram in as much as they possibly can in the day. So you are falling down at 10 o'clock at night, utterly exhausted. And and in, all you can think about are, are, okay, well, what do I have to do better tomorrow? And then that alarm comes early and you panic, you're going to be late. You know, you have everything ready. Um, and it's just day after day after day. And it it is, it's so interesting as I'm reliving it now through this question I was so concerned that everyone was like thinking, oh, man, she's really messing this up. And no one cares about me. <laughs> yeah, everyone's caring about their own selves, you know. Looking past showing up late for practice, Lauren makes a team in 2002. As tough as training camp went, sometimes we're our own worst critics. That summer, Canada plays host to the World Championships in Saskatoon. And any athlete will tell you that playing in your own country is just the best thing ever. But sometimes it's those pesky door jams that try and take our thunder away. I would tell you if you had talked to numerous coaches, they would all tell you I need 100% bubble wrap because I get hurt just walking down the street. And I do remember that I did. I hurt my finger and it was really swollen. And it was my pitching hand, of course. And I didn't know. And I remember I had to go out and tell them if I could pitch or not. And it's the world championships. Of course, I wanted to pitch. Um, in Canada, but I, I honestly heard it pretty bad. Like I didn't know when I say heard it pretty bad, obviously it wasn't broken, but like, it wasn't just a, a little, a little bang up, but I, I somehow I, I did. I made it through. She said, when you're young, ignorance is bliss. Well, and he literally said to me, don't throw her a change up. Yep. He's like, don't throw her a change up. And me and Aaron talk and I'm like, I'm not going to hit my changeup. So I threw a changeup and she hit a bomb, <laughs> a two-run shot. He kicked, coach came out like just, oh, he was so mad. And in my head, I was like, damn, no one hits my changeup like that. Like, I, I think I might have even said like, well, they might hit, she might hit someone else's changeup, but she's not going to hit mine. And man, she hit it straight away center field. We beat them three to two because it was a two-run shot. But I, I will never, I will never forget that game. So we make it out of World Championships, and it's back to OSU for her senior season. But unfortunately, the sheer volume of pitching was doing a number on her body. In college, I actually pitched in the regionals on a broken leg. And I knew I had a broken leg, and I was taking... um, And when I say broken leg, it's not like it was broken, broken. I had two breaks in um, in my tibia. And it was from my drag, 
So if you look at any pictures in 2004, it looks like I have a bionic leg. Well, I knew it was broken that my, my coaches and my trainers in at Oklahoma State, it was, it was my senior year. And they said, there, there's no way, because if you keep dragging on it, you might fully break it. Because every time you push down on it, you're opening the break, the breaks up on the bone. And it was my senior year. We were on our way to regionals. And I said, no chance. I'm I'm p- pitching. And so my trainer was not happy. And she said, she'll only let me do it because it was my senior year. And that was it. And so I went and got taped up, like, to the point where I could almost, like, I mean, I could move my foot because I had to. But, um and I was I had pain med I mean my coach would come out to the mound with a pain pill because it I it hurt I can't describe to you the pain um but it was my senior year and I wanted to go to the world series and at at the end of it I ended up being a little um the way we lost the game and I did the whole the whole regionals I pitched on a broken leg and I um I was a little bit not I mean I was with it but I had been on pain medication and I threw a ball in the dirt and I just I I froze like I I almost didn't understand what was going on and I didn't cover home and that's how they scored. Having a broken leg the year before the Olympics is not the most ideal situation but the reality is is that this is more common than one might think. Maybe not the broken leg part but national team athletes compete all year And you don't always get lucky to be at peak performance by the time the Olympics come around. You could be on fire the week before during the lead-up tournament and fall flat by the time the cameras are on. You could get sick. You could have family problems at home. Often we forget that when the CBC coverage stops that the athletes keep competing. And often we forget to give them love and recognition when they shine outside of the biggest stage. It was the best players playing. But they weren't playing at their best, you know, like that mental, um, basically like that mental fortitude to just be like, I'm not letting anything take me down right now. Um, as opposed to it's easy to watch the TV and think that they're like so positive. And, and of course, you're like negative, you know, positive outcomes don't come from negative thoughts. So, of course, you're positive. But there's a lot I think that goes into, especially when you reach a high level, like you've put your body through a lot. My version of it now is a lot different than what it was. And to be completely honest, um, I struggled just I, – I was excited and happy. But ever since I uh, threw on my leg, I, like, lost my pitching mechanics. I was scared to throw. And it hurt so bad when I did that I – unconsciously modified and I, I I don't I still to this day don't know what and I never got myself back and so I just remember 2004 um at the Olympics it's hard to be on this amazing world stage and you know factually that you aren't at the top of your game and so for me, like I was excited, but I was also a little bit like, uh, I just need to make sure I get through here um, because I didn't have the confidence that I did because I couldn't throw the ball as hard. My ball didn't move as much. My changeup wasn't as good. Like everything in my physical, like my physical game had gone down since since that, that summer before. Um, and it was for me, like it was a, almost like a grind, if that makes sense. And I hate using that word because I, I don't. I don't love it. And you're at the Olympics, but it was like, okay, I do not have my best stuff right now. And I know I'm throwing 
and you're at the Olympics. Um, so it, it was a very just like laser vision kind of kind of way of thinking. Canada comes off the Athens Games with a fifth place finish, just missing the medal rounds. You win some, you lose some. The following year, in 2005, the Olympic cycle starts anew. In this case, it meant new coaching staff and open tryouts in order to open the player pool back up again. For Lauren, she spent a year and a half in the NPF playing for the Chicago Bandits. She earns Co-Pitcher of the Year in 2005 alongside her teammate, none other than Jenny Finch. But through this Olympic cycle, the injuries started to nag on her, and the lead-up to 2008, she saw a significantly restricted pitching regimen in order to prevent re-aggravating her wrist. By the time she got to Beijing in 2008, it was go time. This was the best team Canada had produced up until that point, but just came up short in the medal round to Australia. This fourth place finish was the best result Canada had produced at an Olympics and Lauren played a big part in that. But in looking back, it wasn't the physical things she regrets. Honestly, just looking back at that year, I think, you know, communication team wise, it would have been, would have been awesome because I did feel like we were a little bit scattered. Um, and we're all working for the same thing. And I think it, it would have been, I, I wish I would have stopped and looked at it from other people's perspective a little bit more. Um, as opposed to just, you know, you, you only know your lens. And I tell people all the time, the key to, to the key to life is to be able to look through somebody else's because without their experiences, you can't relate without those experiences. You, you put your own bias on everything that's happening because that you only know what you know. And, um, I wish I would have taken a little bit more time to stop and instead of react, just stop and be like, okay, let's, let's actually think about what's going on here. And have and see if we could have everybody look at look at the world and look at the so, that softball year through a different lens. And that, I think that would have been that would have made. I mean, I could say that for every single year, to be honest. Just because you know, and it's so funny now that we're talking about it. I I would never have put that into words, but you're so worried and you only see what you see. Like you can't see what someone else sees. You can't feel what someone else feels, but having the awareness to say, Hey, just because I feel this way, maybe, maybe everybody else doesn't. Um, I think that would have, that would have been, that would have been a, a big addition to that year. As an elite athlete, the time to call it quits is one that comes fairly early in life. Some handle it better than others, but this journey had run its course. It was time to leave the cleats at home plate. Uh, you know, everyone's journey is different. And I had given, I'd given a lot, you know, I'd played, I was 28 and in softball years. That is very old. Um, maybe I was 27 by the time I was done, but that's an, that's a long time to play in softball. Um, and I know there's some people that are going on a lot a lot older now but at the time it, it seemed like I had played for a really long time and um you know I was just I was so ready to be done I had given it, it felt like the in, whole inter eternity of my life I don't remember anything before softball I don't remember you know just just like everybody you give your summers you give everything um 
when you play in college, you say, I, I won't ski when I go home. Um, there's things that you have to say I won't do in order. There's, uh, you know, the pros and cons and the um, things you have to give up, your sacrifices. And I was so ready to live on my terms. Um, I was so ready to make my own decisions and not have someone else make them for me. And I was married. I was newly married. I got married in 2007. The Olympics were in 2008. So I was so ready to just go on with my life. And, you know, I got married in 2007. Well, 2008, an Olympic training year, you were gone almost eight months of the year. And so I just wanted to go and live my married life, um, you know, thinking of the amount of times since that we had been together since we had been together and married was very little <laughs> for someone who had been married for a year and a half. So I just felt like my journey, I was, I wasn't sad. I wasn't um, nostalgic. I had, I, I felt like I had lived my softball life to this, the so complete fullest that it was, it was overdue that it was time to put my glove away. But wait, there's more. Just when you thought she had gone out to pasture, there's an epic comeback to the story. After 2008, Lauren and her husband Dave have three kids, Grace, Jack, and Will. They start their lives in Chicago, where Lauren and Dave met, and find themselves in Akron, Ohio, where they start their own gym, Track Athletics. Life seemed to be pretty normal until Lauren gets an email from the current national team coach, Mark Smith, with an invitation to come back and play for the 2016 World Championships. Well, it's a good thing she's been working out this whole time. After some arm twisting, she relents and agrees to go all in, gets back into pitching shape in a span of about 10 weeks, and wins her first ever medal with the national team, a bronze medal. Take that, Brett Favre. I don't think I even understood what that year would have done for me. I didn't, I wasn't seeking it. I wasn't hoping for it to happen. It was in the past. But after I did play, I, it hit me the magnitude of, I, I needed this to happen for the chapter and the book to close um, without feeling like it kept rustling in the wind. And she can't stay away. As the national team gears up for the Olympic qualifiers and Olympic run, Lauren has the opportunity to do some color commentating and has a simple message for her former teammates. They they just need to go do their thing. They have worked so hard and it's been really cool being somewhat fresh from the team, seeing how hard everybody's working and technology has, you know, definitely jumped up so much that you're able to track, you know, workouts and, um, you know, all of these different crazy things that we weren't able to do 10, 15 years ago. And I know because I've seen from behind the curtains how hard that they've worked. I know how hard they've worked, not only softball and training wise, but I know also how hard they've worked from the mental pre preparation. And like the only thing they can do right now is go have fun. And I know it sounds so cliche when you're like hey just go have fun but they've you've already put all the barn or the hay in the barn you've already done all the hard work the only thing they can do right now is just smile we've waited for this we've waited for this since 2008 right like we knew before 2008 that was the last olympics for a long time like 
this is exactly what you know there have been players that are, that are on that team that have been on the team since 2009 with that have played with have that have had no hope for an olympics and the excitement i have within me for those players because oh my gosh they were the ones that kept the sport alive when olympics wasn't an option and a lot of people stopped playing because they wanted you know they wanted to go to the pinnacle and it was taken out it took kind of the luster and the excitement of where softball could take you it took it out of their dreams and I look at some of those players who played since that are still there and they've been there since 2009 and I, I, I have goosebumps. I am, I'm so thankful they have this opportunity because they, I, I will say single-handedly the players that kept playing on the national teams for all those years at Olympics weren't, weren't a possibility. Um, this is their time. So I just want them to, I want them to enjoy it because they've worked so hard and so long and, um, like for, for this, for this moment, I can tell you after being at two Olympics, like the whole enjoy it, it's so like, you could say, what are you, you know, 12 year old kid. I mean, at heart, the reason why you play the sport is because you love it. And, you know, no one's, you know, making a $50 million contract, you know, playing softball. So they're like playing truly for the love of the sport. And it's so easy to get caught up in it's a, it, it you know the whole grand uh, scheme of you know what's going on. So just being able to sit and have those moments of look around, like I am at an Olympic qualifier. This is, I mean, just enjoy every minute. Fast forward to where is she now? Lauren and her husband Dave are entrepreneur extraordinaires, spawning off their gym track athletics. Is the Epic Life Project. Yeah, so basically we love helping people and we love our brick and mortar facility in Akron, but we also know there's tons of people that we can help that don't necessarily live in Akron. And we have those people. So we're able to coach them online. We deliver, you know, workouts through apps that have videos and we have like a walkie-talkie voice communication to talk to your coach and we talk about habits around food and we we do all of the stuff and we have found that it actually is because people like us, you know, we run a business, we have three kids, we have a lot going on. Like it is hard to, to, um, even commit to a gym schedule sometimes. So we even have people that live in Akron or are very close that we program for, and they might pop in here or there, but they have everything that they need. They can do it on their own time, wherever they want. Um, but we just, we figured that the flexibility, because the, the whole line of, I don't have time, um, is thrown out there all the time. So we have at home where, I mean, literally like there's nothing you can say if you want to take care of yourself, like we can make it for whatever position you're in, in life. If you say, I can never leave the house because I have triplets, um, you know, then we have a pre postnatal certified mom, you know, mama coach on board that will make you an at home workout. Um, and if you say you want it to be 20 minutes, we'll make it 20 minutes. So we really just want to try and cater to as many people as we can. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, as many people as we can that actually has human interaction because we're not automated. We're not, we're not a huge company. Like we have real people. I think someone had called and She's like, so, like, how am I going to do my check-ins? And I said, well, we check in. And she's like, like, like a person? I was like, yep, a person checks in with you because it's kind of rare. Um, it's kind of rare right now. So 
Um, that's where the Epic Life Project came in. Epic Life and Track are actually the same the same company, uh, but we have just found over and over that we had so many messages that were like, I'd love to, but I don't live in Akron. So we wanted to like kind of get track out of out of the name because when people search it, they think it's only a gym in Akron and then they, you know, go go look somewhere else because they're like, well, I don't live in Akron. So Epic Life Project, where the project is you, um, basically just having you be your best self and um, we deliver fitness um nutrition and habits uh mindset um and just basically having a coach to hold you accountable uh, so you can reach whatever goal you want if you want to check out the epic life project you can find them on facebook and instagram to be part of the facebook group you have to be invited so message at lauren regula on instagram to get yourself in i am a member and there's some great content so i encourage everyone to check it out This concludes my podcast of one. So thank you for listening if you've even made it this far. And thank you, Lauren, for being such a great friend and fun guest to chat with. Bye for now.